Hi, today is January 29th, 2023. This is Mobile, Mobile Views Podcast 443. I can't speak correctly. I'm Todd Gossard, my good friend J- J- Jason Westfall. <laughs> John Just Westfall. Combine us both, that'll be fine. <laughs> and, and our good friend Jason Dunn returning with us uh, uh, after a long while. Jason, it is so good Hello. to literally see you and hear you. <laughs> it has been a while. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, yeah, we we definitely are glad you're able to to join us uh, after some technical difficulties getting this started. Um, before we get started, I just wanted to note, you know, I you know I you know I think we've all been following the various uh, stories coming out of a lot of the big companies about all layoffs and stuff. But you know, one I hadn't been following and I haven't heard of layoffs is Intel, and uh, yeah, uh, but I just read a CNBC article. They did they? Well, I, and say, I guess I they just didn't the, make the news. Yeah, the number. Yeah. But um, uh, Chris Perillo, some of you may remember that name from yeah, kind of I remember years that ago. Name. Chris Perillo actually worked for Intel for a few years, and he was part of the uh, wave of cuts, I think, that happened last week. So again, I don't know how big the wave wow. was, but he posted on LinkedIn, actually. So it's, it's public knowledge that he got, he got, he was part of that cut. Yeah. So yeah, so he, he's a talented guy. I'm confident he'll land on his feet, but it is super Absolutely. unfortunate. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are impacted. And so my heart goes out. Yeah. So I was just reading about Intel's um, Intel's inventory glut and, you know, all of that. And then I was thinking to myself, well, you know, when, when Apple switched from Intel to their uh, M series processors, well, you know, Macs don't sell that many. So it couldn't be too bad. Then I looked, then I looked it up just for the podcast. And I, I, it turned out in 2022, Max accounted for 17.2% of all PCs sold, which floored me because wow. it used to be 5%, yeah. you know? Uh, so that's like one out of every eight Ma- PCs sold is a Mac, at least last year. So uh, I guess that will have impact on Intel's bottom line. But at any rate, uh, yeah. you know, my, uh, my uh, I don't know what the word is, condolences or whatever it is to all the people affected by these layoffs. And I, I, I know a few people personally. And I know a lot more secondhand via LinkedIn, you know, where people are providing support comments to people who are announcing. That's the other interesting thing about this this wave of layoffs, by the way, is that um, it is the most public. I mean, we've had giant layoffs in the past. I know I was part of one uh, back in 2001 uh, when Verizon riffed a whole, you know, ton of us. Uh, but it was we didn't have Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook mm-hmm. and all of that back then. It was more of a private you know, private experience. You know, you talked to a few close friends and that was pretty much it. Actually, I talked to you, Jason, back in 2001. Uh, I wish I could happened. say I remembered that. I, I, I hope I was kind and supportive. Um, oh, you were very, <laughs> very. In fact, you uh, you let me write for you on pocketpc.com, which is a Microsoft site. And oh, that's that right. Helped, yeah. That kind of helped me out. Not kind of, it did help me out until um, my sure. job started. I had a job lined up. But it wouldn't start for several months, so it was uh, very, very helpful. So thank you, Sanaya. Yeah, well, we should we should thank uh, uh, Derek Brown and the uh, Microsoft Marketing Department right back then. Absolutely, had, had the money to, to hire enthusiasts, right? Which is was very unusual yeah. back then, right? I remember that was pretty was. groundbreaking to have non Microsoft employees publishing content on a Microsoft website. Yeah. That was uh, a very new thing. It, it's norm now, but you know, twenty two odd years ago, that was very unusual. <laughs> Very so. Um, thank you for that. A personal thanks to you and and to as you said, Derek Brown, who was a Microsoft's director of marketing for mobile devices or whatever it was called, Windows something like that. Then, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, but at any rate, it's been very heart wrenching to mm-hmm. to read all of these things. But it's been interesting in the sense that you know, um, having gone through it myself, you know, I. I Interesting to see what uh, how other people feel about it, and I I haven't reached out to people directly, but I did tell them that hey, you know, it's probably not where you want to go, but if you ever want to switch from private to public sector, this might be the time to consider it. Although I think everybody's going to land under wherever they, It'll I think, probably be fine and run. I think it depends on the roles, right? I know, um, yeah, 
for developers, they're, they seem to be landing on their feet pretty quickly. At least the, the data that yeah. I've said, you know, shows less than 90 days, but this is kind of going back to people that were laid off, you know, kind of Q4 of last yeah. year. There's a lot of small right. companies that need talent, especially, you know, cybersecurity. There's just so many holes in, yes. in the, the misalignment <laughs> between what the market needs and, and where, where the talent is at. So I think those yes. people, I'd say probably your, the stronger your technical skills, the easier you'll land. But I do feel, um, I think it's going to be harder for a lot of the folks in uh, recruiting, right? That was one of the heaviest mm -hmm. cuts, right? When corporations stop hiring right. a clip, the recruiters are the first to go. I think it's right. going to be harder for them. And, and then, of course, other folks, you know, that are maybe in, you know, content and other less deeply technical things where there's just maybe a little less demand and there's a lot more of them. So I think th there's a lot of pain going on out there. And yeah, I, I definitely feel for folks in the situation. Definitely. At any rate, my offer stands for our fives of listeners that if anybody wants to talk to me about the possibility or the what it's like to switch from private to public sector, which I did 22 years ago, <laughs> you know, I'll be I'll be happy. And actually, I did it in between then too, because um, you know I, I went back to the private sector briefly and then I went back to the to the government. Be happy to talk to people about what that culture shift is like, because really, it's a culture shift more than anything else. That I can imagine. But I think it's an interesting one. It's an interesting. At any rate, uh, before we get on to Jason, which is, you know, really want to see, hear what he's been up to. I just wanted to note that after years of grumbling to, uh, to J John uh, about OneNote, I finally started to make peace with OneNote. Um, I still use Google Keep a lot, uh, given up an Evernote years ago. John and I gave up an Evernote yep. years ago. Oh, I'm still on Team Green, but yeah, keep going. <laughs> but I'm making peace of one note. And more recently, Microsoft To Do, which I think was is a gutted version of a third-party software they bought year. I can't remember what it now. Well, the, the back end, yeah. The, the funny thing about To Do is the back end is Outlook Tasks. So the same engine. In fact, they will sync on a corporate environment. You'll see your Outlook really? Tasks in Microsoft To Do. Yep. I so the back end yeah. storage is Outlook Tasks on Exchange, but the front end is Wonderless. Basically, that's so it. Wonderless. It's a it's yeah. a Franken creation of Microsoft, which I yeah. I used to do for a while, uh, but I dropped down to just Apple Reminders last year when I realized that everything I needed at that point could be done with that, and it was just simpler to, to go with the simpler solution. Apple Reminders not being cross platform, though, so I guess that's the other part of it, right? If you're doing collaborative uh, tasks and you have people outside the Apple ecosystem. So both my wife and I use Android phones. And so we actually use Microsoft to do uh, heavily and we actually mm. use a lot of shared lists. So um, I have a lot mm. of experience with that and it works It works really, really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is very true. You need to think about your your collaborative team uh, and at the, the home level that's definitely required. I do like at least that Reminders has a web interface. I can go through iCloud.com to get to Reminders. So if I'm on a device mm. that's not mine, I can get there. Of course, you can do the same if you're, if you are using Todo. I think there's a web interface for Todo. There yeah, is. there is. There is, in yeah. fact. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like the cross-platform nature. And oddly enough, I've been using Microsoft OneNote almost exclusively on a Mac <laughs> or or a Chromebook, not on Windows. Yeah. It's worth uh, noting that OneNote now on iPad supports Apple Scribble. So they added that just in the last couple of weeks. Oh, I didn't know can, that. You can write. I mean, Apple Scribble does not pick up my handwriting that well at all. But mm -hmm. in theory, you could write your notes and have it. But it sort of defeats the whole purpose of OneNote in that it's freeform note-taking when it then tries to put it into paragraphs again and tries to make it look like a wall of text. At that point, let me just get a keyboard out and I'll tap out my wall of text or my keyboard strokes. So. Yeah. Well, well, John, I, I know exactly why it won't pick up your text. You know why? Okay. Because you're Dr. Oh. John Westfall, right? Oh, it just yes. it does not doctors <laughs> and handwriting. As soon as you got your PhD, John, it, it broke for you. Well, I, I joke that as I was getting my PhD, I could tell my handwriting was getting worse and worse and worse every year. So yeah, as soon as you get there. And yet uh, I can still mostly read my own handwriting. I'm not sure how I'm able to do that. But you're the only one who can, probably. Well, yeah. So it's a secret code de facto. It's really great. Yeah. No one else can read my yeah. Android. Yeah. I, I, you know, while we've got Jason, I should ask him, have you tried Apple Freeform yet, Jason? You know, I dabbled with it after um, the the iOS update. Um, I kind of opened it up, poked around and kind of shrugged my shoulders. I think it'll be great for a lot of people because I think it's an interesting amalgamation of a few different things. But because 
my kind of note taking is out my note taking and tasks and reminders is, are outside of the Apple ecosystem. Even though I use everything Apple except for my phone, it wasn't a good fit for me. But I, I see a lot of potential. It's a really interesting um, evolution of the product. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find um, what how it fits in my personal use too. And I've been mm-hmm. using it a little and I, I tried to use it with some friends, clean job, but nobody wants to use it. It's a little bit sad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it, it is interesting. I can't get used to the, um, the, it's not quite an infinite whiteboard, but it's, uh, you know, the, where you look when you go into freeform is not the whole thing. Right. And so the, there's, there's a sense of where am I whenever I go into freeform into uh, you know a note well, on freeform you know it's funny i just i opened up my one my, my little test note i created you know when yeah. this first came out i clicked in yeah. and i started scrolling around because i didn't know it was an infinite whiteboard i literally <laughs> can't find my note right now like i'm zooming out i'm like where where is my thing oh it's 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 like smack in the middle middle yeah that's weird you think it would be kind of <laughs> when you go to 100 percent or reset it would put you back to where you were yeah these product that's designers so- what's going on with them <laughs> Well, I will say one thing about it, and I have commented to John and Swen and a few other friends on the podcast, is um, now that I don't have access to Microsoft Teams, because Teams is only available, in inter- I mean, uh, Whiteboard is only available apparently in like uh, enterprise environments. Interesting. Um, but, uh, and I did kind of like using it, but but the problem with Microsoft, with Microsoft Whiteboard and Teams, it was so incredibly slow. And I think it's because it's written in an Electron, uh, you know, or built on Electron like the rest of teams um although there is a standalone which i assume is also electron and it was just so sluggish that uh, it was really difficult to use as as much as i enjoyed its interface and its ability to collaborate with people you know virtually on a virtual whiteboard so i've been trying to sort of decide how to how this works for me i like whiteboards basically so for for our our like you said our fives of listeners that don't know what electron is which includes me uh, what is Electron? Is that the the programming language? Is it like a shell, like an, an emulator or describe? Yeah, it. yeah. yeah. And layer. you know, I've never developed in it, but I will put a link into it. And Electron is, as I understand it, is basically like a JavaScript container uh, oh, with you know a few other doodads in there. And so basically, it's a web interface that is, you know, looks like a client. Um, so it's a fat web interface. But I will definitely put a link into Electron so that our five of list and me too. So I don't lead them astray. Uh, okay. So it's a software framework. So uh-huh. it's essentially, is so it, is it sort of like uh web guts in, in a desktop app like interface? Yes. But then yes. because it's not really yes. local, you still have maybe some of the slowness and latency of the web. Right. Combined right. with UI. And apparently, yeah, that's tricky. Yeah. And apparently Microsoft is going away from it. So. Um, I think it was probably part of their progressive web app stuff in the beginning. Mm, uh, the so I'll just put in, yeah, which I guess is kind of making a, but I'll, I'll, I'll make a note to myself to put a link to some intro about Microsoft Electron, especially if it's going to go away. Because I think Microsoft Teams is being rewritten as a you know native fat app to make it less gigantic. The other thing about it too, by the way, is it leaks horribly. So if you ever use, I know you don't use Microsoft Teams, but if you ever use Microsoft Teams all day long, like I used to do seven days a week, and if you're like me and you don't ever turn off your notebook, you just sleep it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen that thing grow to a, over a gig of RAM, <laughs> you know, just Ouch. all by itself. <laughs> and, sloppy, uh, sloppy. Yeah, it, it was pretty ugly, but I really liked it. I have to say I'm still a fan of Microsoft Teams, as John knows. Um I, I never I, used it much. Like I've only ever dabbled yeah. with it. I think uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's really interesting, right? The, the positioning that Teams has where Microsoft is making it, you know, the default at the consumer level, which is, it's such a weird fit in this, you know, we get back to Microsoft, how they name things and so those things. Right. I installed Windows 11 uh, on a brand new computer that I actually built with my son a couple weekends ago, made out of 99% donated parts from uh, our mutual friend, Steve, that John and I share. And it was an interesting experience building a computer with my son, uh, learned lots of interesting things. Predictably, it went sideways and the computer didn't even turn on the first time. And I told my son, I'm like, son, there's a a universal rule of building a computer. It will never work right the first time. (laughs) And sure enough, it didn't boot up. But that's a whole other story. But what was interesting, you install Windows 11 and right out of the gate, 
Microsoft Teams front and center as like a as yeah. a, on a on a consumer you know platform. And so we just we just yeah. uninstalled it, and we also got rid of OneDrive. But yeah, the whole the whole Teams yeah. positioning as like a, a universal Windows communications tool. I don't know how much traction they have with consumers. I know in the in the business world, if it's a default, yeah, businesses yeah. use it instant traction, and that's where Microsoft has their well, strength. But I can tell you. Th- from having used Teams for years now in the enterprise side, Microsoft Teams in enterprise and Microsoft Teams consumer version don't even look alike. Oh, uh, expect except for some basic interface interface um, similarities. Even though it's the same code, I mean it's the same mm-hmm. app. You know, it's not even a different app, but it just looks and feels completely different from enterprise. Um, well, the, my suspicion is the backends are different. I yeah. think the back end for consumers like Skype. Old, old Skype back end and the back end yeah. for enterprises link. And so mm-hmm. just like OneDrive has a universal now that the back ends are still different, the back end of enterprise OneDrive is SharePoint. The back end of uh, consumer OneDrive is still the old um, folder share and SkyDrive uh, Sky you know, containers. Yeah. So it's oh, wow. really Microsoft has this fun way of merging different code bases they bought into the same apps, but it really is not the same app. And that you can tell that when Teams gets confused between your personal and your enterprise accounts. Mm-hmm. For a while, I've had installs where the personal account just will never launch because it keeps trying to hand back off to the Teams, the enterprise account. And then the enterprise account tries to end back to the personal. It just loops you around and around and around. Uh, and the same yeah. thing with OneDrive. Since I work with uh, a lot of people who use both personal and professional OneDrive, they get very confused as to why features don't seem to work the same. And it's because they don't work the same. They're on different backends. So. That is confusing. So then you know, the, the obvious question is, well, why the hell should you call it Teams then for the consumer, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's already it's a shitty. terrible name. Like it's a terrible name. Yeah. It, in addition to all that, it's a different yeah. back end. It's a different front end. Why carry your 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 corporate branding in in front of customers? You know that that just. But you know Microsoft, Google, Jason, they don't yeah. get it with apps. Well, the only and, branding and, and, that Microsoft is tied to is Office and Windows. Everything else yeah. they seem to think doesn't matter, so they just change Xbox. things every. I'd add Xbox yeah. to that list. It's fairly yeah, immutable, I, yeah. but yeah, yeah, you're right. They change yeah. it. Well, you know, as as you know, Jason and I have been uh, associated with Microsoft in various ways for about the same amount of time. I mean, Jason, uh, even though you're a young guy compared to me, you've been around them for what near thirty years now. Oh, Todd, <laughs> one, you uh, feel so old, but yeah, yeah, the late <laughs> in one um, relationship or another. I mean, uh, you know, I would say ninety six. Yeah. So what does that so mean? We're coming up on thirty. Yeah, it's, <laughs> ooh, that's that's old. <laughs> And uh, and you remember the branding we discussions we went through with them like what are you that, mm. office on the pocket PC it's not even anything near right you right, can't right, even right. round trip you know remember all of those discussions oh yeah and, those uh, conversations yeah those were those were crazy years though right when when you think about what you know we had we had these visions for what mobility was going to be and they were held yeah. in tension against what the product managers thought they could deliver and, and really even just the limitations of where development was at the time. Because I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I have this hunch, right? That if you, if you were talking, you know, late nineties or, you know, early aughts, did the, I feel like that was before Microsoft changed some of their, their office document formats to like, not, not an open format, but like something that. that, yeah, like translatable yeah. by other services. So I wonder if back then it right. was just this kind of closed container that you couldn't even convert properly on mobile. So I wonder if there were some issues back there. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I, I do know that, you know, you might remember we had this, these, we all three of us had these discussions with them, uh, you know, in Redmond and basically they didn't want to cannibalize their yeah. desktop office, right? You know, yeah. we can't make mobile office. Office as powerful as a desktop. Why would they buy a desktop? <laughs> right, right, right. Although I would have loved seeing uh, Microsoft Word with you know three hundred menus crammed on a tiny you know, pocket <laughs> PC screen. Right. You, you know there was some designer that was like, well, if we can just port it over. <laughs> but thankfully, well, you know, I they made it simpler. Although I, I remember we again, this is a discussion we had with them. You know, we literally the three of us plus a whole bunch of other friends had with them. Uh, former MVPs saying, you know, the world would be so much easier if instead of using active stink, uh, <laughs> you would just 
synchronize the calendar and our contacts and everything in in hotmail wouldn't that be really easier and they yeah, go, no, it cloud would. Sync. <laughs> yeah yeah how dare we suggest that and then they end up doing it less than a handful of years later oh. well it's funny though right you always you always wonder because i've been a little bit on the product side not, not a lot but enough to know that what seems easy is not always as easy so i wonder if some of those discussions back then, was it a lack of, you know, will or interest and, and, you know, vision, or were there just technical limitations that they looked at it and said, you know, cause again, Hotmail, right. Was it was an acquisition. So who yes. knows what the, what the backend code, you know, someone might've looked at that and said, you know what, this is just a disaster. <laughs> we need five years to get some kind of a cloud sync solution in place. That's actually, well, usable. you know, I so. think by the time, by the time we were working with, uh, maybe working with them is a too strong award. We're collaborating with them on, you know, Windows CE type of things in the aughts. Mm -hmm. You know, Hotmail was originally running on Solaris when they bought it. Mm. And uh, and so they took them years <laughs> to move it to an exchange system. So it might have been a bit of a kludge and, you know, there was a bit of problem. And Solaris is what, uh, an open source mail server? Oh, 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 so Solaris is the Sun Microsystems version of Unix. Okay. Would not yeah. know that, Todd. I'm just, look, I'm just a marketing <laughs> guy, Todd. I don't know all these things. John can attest to my utter uh, ineptness at the command line now. I used to know, I used to know like 10 things. Now I know like two things. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we've kind of drifted off from where I wanted to focus. So this, it's been a lot of fun discussing this with you guys. Um, so Jason, you know what, what have you been up to? I I see a couple of things in your list, including EVs and Microsoft to do, which we were just talking about. What's the question, Todd? Do you want just me to start talking? <laughs> oh, I, or well, you... <laughs> we'll start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to hear what you have to say about the various things that we have. You know, we, we, I should note to our fives listeners. So before we start the podcast, we try to organize it. A little, even though, and uh, we have we have some show notes with the discussion topics and that. And under Jason, we were talking about his use of Microsoft to do, and I think we kind of covered that. But I, I'd like to hear about uh, your your electric vehicle experience. I do not have one yet. Yeah, well, it's it's certainly interesting, right? Um, those of us that got on EVs early, and I wasn't early. I, I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of the the arc, you know, the bell curve of technology adoption. I got a Model 3, a Tesla Model 3 in mid-2019. So there were, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of, you know, people that had bought EVs prior to that. But in the grand scheme of, you know, how many people do you know that have an EV? In 2019, it was still kind of a weird thing. You know, it was still like, like when we, yeah, did, yeah. we, we drove it to uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, where Ashley, my wife and I are both from. And we took people, you know, for test drives on it and no one had even been in it. So in 2019, it was definitely a, a strange thing. Um, if you lived in California or states that had, you know, much higher rates of adoption, it was, it was certainly not a strange thing. But for people in my sphere, it was uh, unusual. And then, you know, you fast forward now, you have states, you know, Washington State, uh, I, I think it's 2030, you won't be able to even buy a gas car here. Um, you know, lots of states are moving towards those models. So you have this... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the Cambrian explosion, right? You know, in paleological terms, <laughs> you know, the, this explosion of life where out of seemingly nowhere, we have all this stuff that just came into being. That is the phase we're in right now with, with, with EVs and, and, and batteries. I mean, you can't go a day where there isn't a new Kickstarter for some kind of home-based battery system on wheels. You know, there's this explosion mm -hmm. in battery production, you know, Tesla power walls, you know, um, grid grid power solutions so there's just a, it, it's it's fascinating to watch the explosion of battery technology in general and really a lot of it came from pardon the pun you know the driving force of evs right where the industry was like wow this stuff is actually working and a lot of the a lot of the battery technology that was pioneered in evs spurred r d that then spurred other interesting solutions you know you read about you know there's iron batteries there's sulfide batteries and there's batteries that take so long to charge they're completely impractical for home users or cars hmm. but boy they make incredibly affordable and effective grid storage when all they need to do is just sit there in the middle of a field holding power for backup so yeah it, it's a really fascinating yeah have you have you thought about putting a, a you know solar powered uh, banks in your home or anything or have you already done that well, Todd, funny you should ask. Uh, yes, I did do that. Um, so uh, as the show notes indicate, uh, a couple months ago, we got solar panels. And I have been interested in solar for a long time. But the 
the cost was was pretty high and I wanted I really wanted to combine solar with battery. The area we live in has occasional power outages. The worst we've ever had is maybe mm-hmm. 16, 18 hours. It's only a couple mm-hmm. times a year and there maybe a couple hours at a time. So it's not that big of a deal. But right. when when you work from home 24/7, well, sorry, I don't work 24/7. Yes. It feels like I work 24/7, <laughs> but you know what I mean. When you work from home, yes. uh power stability becomes a really big deal. Because it's really awkward when your power goes out and you you can't work. So I started to get interested in batteries and solar. And then, um, you know, the the things just sort of started to come together after we finished, you know, paying off the Tesla Model 3. I was like, okay, solar, that would be a really cool thing to kind of complete the loop, right? You know, power my, even though Washington State has upwards of 60, 65% um, hydro power, um, very clean energy, you know, overall in Washington compared to other states. Having solar to really, you know, power my car just seemed like a nice loop. And I have a whole uh, moral philosophy around uh, power generation that we don't need to get into now. But yeah, the timing just seemed great. Three months ago, got the solar panels and it has been really interesting to see the technology. And it's amazing how sophisticated it is now, actually, with the app, your ability to see real time. Like with the app, you can actually look at individual panels. And if one of your panels, you know, is no longer generating as much power as it should, Right. You know, the panel's failing or, you know, you got too much bird Dirty. crap on your panel. Like there's there's all kinds of things. But the ability to do that now is, I think, one of the reasons why solar's becoming so much more popular because it's just matured. It's not this weird edge case thing. It's mature. Um, people want to, you know, do it for a variety of reasons, save money, help the environment, whatever it might be. It's a, it's a whole new world. And I love looking at my app on sunny days. It makes me happy. I've, I've become... Uh, <laughs> a weather-based happiness person where I'm like, well, look at that. It's sunny. What a beautiful day. I'm generating free power. I love light. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that talking about that now is I, I, I don't remember if I mentioned it when we, after we started the podcast, but I think I did before where, so right now where I live in, on, on, in Hawaii, we are having uh, it's not bad weather. It's not great weather, but we're, we have high wind warnings and we have uh, I think we're under a flash flood watch, which is just the lowest level of the, mm, in the flood yeah. kind of, alerts and i'm looking at oahu right now and i see uh, maybe a dozen power outages right now. oh boy it's not good yeah yeah very scattered very small ones so you know uh you know i'm sure the electric company will take care of them and i the nearest one to me is about 10 miles away so i'm i seem to be okay so far but you know well, watch me go out right after i say that yeah in the middle of the podcast <laughs> blink todd todd goes away mm-hmm. um yeah so it's one of those funny things right where uh power where i came from power lines were usually in the ground right so because calgary where i grew up you know had had more extreme weather um you know lots of snow and and whatnot i think the strategy was we're we're going to put them in the ground now someone's probably going to look this up and say no jason lots of power lines are above ground but when i grew up power outages were super super rare and then when i moved to the seattle area here 11 years ago you start looking and you realize oh all these powers are like power lines are just lines and there's all these giant mm-hmm. trees hanging over them and you're like that just mm-hmm. doesn't seem like a very stable solution and sure enough i've experienced way more power outages here than i did back in canada and it, it just infrastructure is so old the way they thought of things yeah you know, or even just really what was practical of course it, it's about cost right yeah sure we could have put it in the ground but it would cost taxpayers or the company laying the lines you know 10 times more or whatever the, the metrics so it's always you know, there are easy ways to do things and hard ways to do things. And then there's the cost as a factor. But I did get batteries, Todd, in my long-winded way of answering. I got some batteries on my wall. And it's been <laughs> super interesting to have 10, 10 kilowatts of power. So 300 pounds of batteries are strapped to wow. the wall in my garage. And it's really interesting to see how they work. And uh, it's not quite the panacea I was hoping it was going to be, but it, it is really mm-hmm. useful so far. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. And has it helped you survive through a couple of power outages and that sort of thing? So I, I, know, a, I, I think you guys have had a bunch recently. Well, so here's what's funny, right? Um, when, when you get, you have solar and batteries, you actually have this twisted incentive to hope for a power outage so you can actually test your system. <laughs> You're like, oh, I, it'd be really great if the power went out just for a little while, not long, but just for a little <laughs> while so I can see how this works. And uh, we have not had any true power. Oh, outage. that's good, actually. So, it's good, but yet I feel cheated. I really want to test yeah. my, my system. Now, you can tell the system to go off grid and you can kind of force like a local right. test. 
this so you know the installers did all that but i haven't yet but what i have had and this is actually quite common is these power um, sags you know the fluctuations where mm-hmm. the lights blink off for a second but sometimes mm-hmm. you know it is enough to, to take down various electronic devices right those are actually fairly common but what i found out and i didn't know this beforehand is that battery units do not have the same response time as a true UPS, or at least the, the unit that I have. It's an end phase yeah, yeah, power yeah. system. Their response time is is 100, it's 100 milliseconds, 150 milliseconds, whereas a UPS yeah. that you have hooked up to your computer below your desk, right, is uh, under 10 milliseconds, under 50 milliseconds typically. So that means that you still need a local UPS with an old lead acid battery. I was all excited. I'm like, I don't need to spend hundred dollars on batteries anymore on my yeah. UPS unit. And then it happened. And I contacted the company and they were like, yeah, you still need them. And I'm like, damn it. So I had to go get a big yeah. old lead acid battery to hook up below my work computer. So not a panacea, yeah. but uh, you know, it keeps certain circuits on. You get to pick which circuits you put on and you have to think strategically. Like when the power goes out, what do I want to keep running? I want my furnace, uh, my fridge, my freezer. You know, you, you get to decide where your power is going to go. Yeah, you may, I think, and I'm not an electrical engineer, we should have Swin on or, or, or electrician, but I, I know in data centers that, you know, in addition to our giant UPSs, which do have a fast response time, we also have power conditioners to, mm-hmm. um, you know, which are even faster uh, to, you know, just take those, those little brownouts, those little glitches in case, yeah. uh, in case the UPS doesn't quite pop correctly, but uh, I'm sure you can find those for you faster, basically a big capacity, mm-hmm. but um Really interesting. Yeah, I know, you know, in Hawaii, because we have so much sun, you know, year round. Yeah, that would seem to be a good uh, you place know, for solar. How, how prevalent is solar in Hawaii? It's pretty, I think, well, you know, just kind of looking at roofs as I drive around, I see a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the concerns, like my particular home, I'm kind of in the shadow of a, it's a good size hill. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a couple hundred feet up. And so I, although I get a lot of sun and I'm sure I'd be fine to put some solar panels up. I actually had somebody do some calculations. I'd need more panels than some of my neighbors, just a block or two away, just because I'm, you know, within a hundred feet of a a mountain shadow or something. Same problem with satellite dishes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's the thing, you know, I think one of the things that is important for anyone to understand about all these, you know, technology, right, is it is definitely not one size fits all. You know, and so even, you know, proponents of, you know, I'm so I'm, I'm very, you know, pro clean energy, very pro solar. But yeah, the first thing a company will do before they even come out to your house, I find this super interesting. Um, at least the companies I got quotes from, they'll go on Google Maps, they'll look at your roof direction, yeah. the angle of your roof, they got some really nice software, and they'll give you a number, they will actually give you an, out of 100% what your kind of suitability for solar is. And we happen to have the style of house has a big old flat roof. That was, I think, um, I think it's west facing, no trees around it. My solar rating was like 98% and like 100%. Wow. So basically, it's kind of like, it would almost be a crime against humanity to not have solar panels on that roof because it's, it's so perfect. But like you said, other people, trees, shade, where you live. So then you got to go, okay, well, it's not practical. I need other solutions. So that's when you get into wind, um, I hope we'll see a lot of actually offshore hydro, which for something like Hawaii, where you have a lot of water movement that, I mean, I don't know if they have that now, but there's lots of really interesting opportunities where you've got to look holistically and say, how can we serve the you know clean power for this community? And in some yeah. places it's going to be hydro, it's going to be wind and it's going to be, you know, Arizona, lots of desert, middle of nowhere. You put up a whole bunch of solar panels. There's even farmers now. This is super, I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, there's interesting hybrids of farmers and ranchers with solar because solar panels actually end up providing shade, which can be really helpful yeah. for livestock. And so there's these interesting <laughs> yeah. amalgamations of like, who would have thought that you know, your rural farmers would be interested in getting solar panels, but guess what? Ener- free, clean energy, better growth of my, you know, grasslands for my, my herds, like really interesting stuff is happening. Yeah. Probably retains moisture better and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Same thing in dams. Yeah, the, sort of, yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, I, I don't think we, people have really looked at hydropower here for various and sundry reasons, um, mm-hmm. you know, whales and dolphins and all those things. Sure. Um, we've looked at a lot of a lot of solar stuff I've seen. Solar farms have been coming up. And of course, people 
with panels. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I see a, a a bunch of. I think Nissan Leafs have solar panels on the top of the car for to cool the car down while it's turned off, which is kind of neat. Yeah, it powers the fans that, or something. I I didn't actually realize that. The, the, it's interesting because yeah, there's are a couple of cars that are having. What is it? The there's some EV company that Adaptra, Aptera. There's something. There was like a solar car, and that was this big thing. It was you know, yeah. covered in solar panels. But yeah. um, and I always chuckle. I'm sure you've seen this, um, John. Uh, and Todd, have you seen the USB battery banks that have solar panels on it, like a little yes. solar cell? And they yes. sell these things. I still have one. Okay. Well, if you do the math or you just practice, you would it, you probably have to have like a week of strong sun for this little itty bitty tiny panel yes. to actually yes. generate enough panels. So it's it's the same yes. thing with cars. If you leave your car out in a, a perfectly sunny spot for like eight hours, you might get. A, a dozen miles or a couple dozen miles, right? There's just right. not a oh, surface these, area, right? Yeah. The, the solar panel on the Nissan Leaf, if I remember correctly, because a friend of mine, I think, had one on his, is it's its sole purpose in life yeah. or its sole purpose in its little you know electronic life is to just power a fan while your car is turned off so it's not super hot when you come back into it. Oh, that's interesting. So it's, it's like an environmental kind of air circulation yeah. thing. yeah. Yeah, I mean that 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 actually does make sense because then they're they're using surface area to accomplish an actual you know task. But uh, yeah, uh, solar panels are. Before I started researching solar, I didn't realize how inefficient they really were. You know, uh, yeah. if you you know you think about hundred oh, yeah. percent of your sun, uh, if right. you you know get solar panel like well, there was one I think that maybe they broke thirty percent or they got close to thirty percent efficiency. Right. This is a breakthrough. Right. This is like never before heard of levels of efficiency. Right. So there's all this kind of free energy raining down upon us, but we can actually capture a fraction. And, you know, Jason, you might remember this. I don't think John was with us at uh, Mobius 2001. Oh. And one of the things we got in that giant goodie bag was a tiny solar panel with a battery attached to it, which I've never used because <laughs> I don't think it generates enough power to power. I don't think I, I have, got but... that one. Or I, I may have been working really? for Microsoft as a contractor because I think for the first Mobius, I don't remember if I was even there because there was a period of time where I was working as a contractor and I was supporting Mobius. And then I became uh, an air quotes influencer oh, and got invited. So okay. yeah, yeah. Or maybe I, I just I, forgot. I, look for it. I, <laughs> I think I still have mine in a you box. You kept it. Yeah. Well, you know, I you know, I'm a pack rat. You know, I'm, I'm basically a hoarder. And I'm I'm dehoarding right now. I'm doing what's called an archaeological dig in my home. Oh. <laughs> I've been finding the darnest things. But that um, could be fun and terrifying, but fun. Um, yeah. How long have you lived there? Finding the darnest things. Like like uh, in this home? Yeah. Since 1995. Well, there you go. So when you don't have to move, you can accumulate. Yeah. When you have to move, yes. you have to make hard calls about yes, what you keep. Yes. John, you've moved around. Yeah, as an army so brat. Probably yeah, I, as an army brat, we did that frequently. <laughs> I've moved enough, and I recently just made a bunch of hard calls. Our uh, church was doing a sale. It was a kind of a youth group yard sale, so I donated a bunch of stuff that was I'm never going to use this. And if I am, I will buy a new one that does 10 times more than this one does. So, sure, yeah. Uh, but I just am overlooking, and I've gotten down my old pocket PC collection to just one small box now. <laughs> Because I only kept on to uh, like three or four of the things, you know, over uh, all the ones that I went through over the years. So you got to make hard decisions sometimes. I not only kept all the Windows handheld, Windows C handheld PCs, Windows handheld 2000 PCs, hand pocket PCs. I kept the original boxes. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) I do have the original boxes for most of the ones I kept. Uh, I did not keep uh the original boxes for all of them and got rid of most of those by now so uh, so that is few... part of my yeah i'm sorry john go ahead i was just gonna say there's a no, few that t- will always have some memory for me that i yes. kept on to yeah i was gonna tell jason i, I don't think we've discussed this john and i talk, I, I talked to john about it a lot i've been going through what's called swedish death cleaning and um tell me about that a, i think it, the name's self-explanatory but <laughs> tell me about it yeah no, it's, it's when you it's clean like, all of the swedes out of your house before they die <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's what it is todd talks about it a lot i think that's what it was okay okay so it, it to me it's i don't know if you've seen the marie kondo uh oh, joy yeah. of whatever it is yeah, does it spark so i think joy? she's too yeah. yeah she's too radical for me to be honest and okay. so um so i Porter go on, on this thing called <laughs> 
Yeah. So she's, I, I go on down to something called Swedish death cleaning, which is very, very practical. And you can do it even if you're not dying or yeah. well, everybody's yes, but at the moment you're not dying. <laughs> <laughs> and basically it's like, you know, just going through all your stuff to organize it and to uh, decide what to keep and throw so that whoever has to deal with your stuff at, when your day is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, has as little to deal with as they absolutely need to. Basically, it's only the stuff that's essential. <laughs> John is holding a box. Oh, <laughs> wow. That, yeah, uh, that's, very, that's very practical, uh, Todd. Yeah, I've had my um, my in-laws and my parents. They both moved, actually, within the past kind of five years. And yeah. absolutely, the my, my, in, my in-laws in particular are, are fastidious about just not keeping stuff forever because yeah, that's that's exactly their philosophy. They don't want their possessions to be a burden for those that kind yes. of come next. And I, I think it's very thoughtful. So yeah, I absolutely apl- applaud you for doing that. It sounds like you got your work cut out for you though, if you're uh, I've got, a professor. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm cutting pads through my home. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, yesterday, for example, and we're getting a little bit off topic, but yesterday, for example, I finally, in 2023, have uh, boxed up all my beta and features tapes for disposal. What? <laughs> oh, John's got some boxes there. VHS and beta. Oh, my. Now, here's a yeah. question for you, though. Did you have any that were still, like, in the box or in, like, condition? Because there's, there's a bizarre secondary market where vhs tapes go for tens of thousands of dollars if they are rare it is the weirdest thing but oh, it's true so most of the tapes i recorded like i used to record star trek next generation oh, you know, this okay. is when to buy it on tape was like a hundred dollars for a tape sure. which ridiculous <laughs> yeah and so i used to just record them all but anyway yeah. i do have a couple of i have the 1989 batman in vhs oh in pretty classic. darn good condition yeah, yeah. And I think I've got a couple of Star Trek, the original series that I actually did pay like $80 or whatever. It's like, you know, trouble with triples or whatever. Yes, yes. Uh, but, but you know, not not much else. Um, uh, probably a lot of the Disney. <laughs> I think I think the only VHS tapes that I kept, like I know for sure I still have them, are the Star Wars trilogy on uh, VHS. And I specifically yeah. kept them because... They were, of course, the theatrical versions before Lucas did yes. his Lucas Lucasification terribleness, right. and so I kept those, even though it's you know it's very silly to them. Yeah. At all. and you have nothing to play it on anymore. <laughs> so don't laugh, but I do actually have a combo Samsung VHS DVD player that came <laughs> out many years ago, and it's still on my shelf. Um, I'm trying to think. I used it. I used it for a, the last time I used it was many years ago when I digitized an old yeah. family VHS tape and made a digital right. copy. And now I have digital and we haven't even done. Have you seen either of you you've seen the uh, Topaz lab software or any other software like it that is machine learning based video upsampling and what it can do with old no. footage. It is no. mind blowing. I've heard of it, but and I've seen a few YouTube videos, but I've not played with it. Um, that, you know, I think what Todd points out is most of us, we kept the tapes. We forgot about it when we threw out the last of our players or the belts died in them or something like right, that. So right. now we're all stuck with it and we can't upscale it even if we want to. Well, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very um, historical and kind of memories focused. So I've scanned, you know, every picture we're scanning and whatever. But, but again, you know, with all, with all digital capture, you capture within the limitations of the technology at the time, right? So I yep, remember yep. having a scanner. Do you remember... Before flatbed scanners were affordable, you remember this, Todd. I don't know if you will jump. Handheld scanners. They look like little barcode readers, and you would actually roll them over. I remember your those. Picture. You'd roll I them have, over your picture. Yes. I have one in my store at work. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I, I, they they actually maintain their popularity quite a bit in the academic space, even after flatbeds, just because you could take them to a library Oops. and easily oh, yeah. roll over a book without having, you know, especially if it was a really thick book, you didn't have to worry about sure. trying to put it on a flatbed. Yeah. So yeah. I still have one. You academics, always doing weird things with technology. But anyway, yeah. anyway, but the point is, you know, you, you, <laughs> you, you capture something within the medium of the time. And video is a perfect example, right? So my wife and I went to uh, Japan 2000. And in 2008, the cutting edge digital camera was recording. It was either, you know, VGA resolution video. It was like, you know, 640 by 480, this little camera. So I have this old footage that when you play, play back on a 5K monitor or a 4K TV, it's this little postage size thing. The software scaling looks terrible, but 
you feed it into one of these machine learning based tools that, that based on machine learning models, it knows what the human face is supposed to look like. It reconstructs on a pixel by pixel basis. And wow. it looks, it looks, there's still a, maybe call it a 10% weirdness where you look at things, you're like, that looks a little off or that sharpening is a little bit weird, but it is jaw dropping yeah. what it is able to do with, with old footage. Now I haven't tried it with VHS footage, but um, yeah, the technology is there. And it's it's mind blowing, and and Nvidia is demonstrating similar kinds of technology with their high end graphics cards on real time playback. So we're getting to the wow. point where, where hardware and ML can be combined, and that that's like the the future isn't upsampling pre. The future is a machine learning playback model where in real time it will resample and reencode your video and make it look as good as it did, you know, back in real life. So it we're we're, we're entering crazy interesting times with ML. And part of that is all the, you know, the, the ML art stuff that's popping up right now, the avatars and the whatever. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's a crazy time. 2022, year of AI, even though really it was machine learning, not AI, but I digress. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely fun stuff. And, and speaking, speaking of old stuff, by the way, I know you and one of our other mutual friends have been having had a brief discussion about your old Macs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fun topic, right? Why won't my computer die? <laughs> this is the topic. What's your? Let's go around the three of us here. Uh, John, start with you. What's your oldest um, functioning computer? No, not functioning, but still in use computer. Like, what's your oldest computer that you still use for something? Uh, it's a 2015 MacBook Pro that my wife uses full time now, and I it's still kind of my backup uh, device. But I still do regularly boot up a 2009 and a 2011 MacBook Air, and they still they still work quite fine so that's kind of the oldest at this point okay wow yeah those 2009 ones definitely old Todd what about you you know I finally uh like you I had a really old iMac uh mine was from 2000 it was I bought it in 2008 but it was a 2007 model um, oh wow and it 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 was sitting on my desk until about six months ago uh and I finally said hey you know I'm going to retire and you are too <laughs> Course retirement for hardware, yeah, yeah. And uh, I so I finally got, and it's still booted. Of course, you know I couldn't upgrade it to anything modern, uh, yeah. without doing some trickery or putting. Lint. So but, you didn't uh, use it regularly, but it was still like a function. Yeah, exactly. The re the oldest regularly is, believe it or not, is a 2017 Chromebook. I think uh, okay. that I still use. Yeah. But so it's not that old. Um, I refreshed my PCs when there was that threat of tariffs and things back in 2019. So mm -hmm. I got a new notebook, new Windows notebook, and a new MacBook Pro back then. And since then, I bought a MacBook uh, M1 MacBook Air, which is which I'm using right now, and yes. it's just phenomenal. Yeah, <laughs> we've been talking. Uh, you know, we've been talking on Zoom for well about an hour now, I think, and it's still running cool. My MacBook Pro or anything else I use would be like you know you could cook eggs on it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I have a, a MacBook Pro that I use for work, right? That's three years old, so it's you know Intel Core i7. And whenever yeah. I do any kind of video calls, the fan yeah. kicks up to a hundred percent, super <laughs> right. loud. And yeah, cause this it's so strenuous because just those chips didn't have the hardware to do what, what right. video conferencing requires, you know, real time encoding and decoding of video streams. And then you look at the M series CPUs and what Apple's been able to do has been, has been amazing because they, magic. yeah, magic because they control, you know, they have the, exactly the right silicon. It's very transformative, but, but. I need to tell you my oldest computer. So getting back to, you know, the root of the story, um, I have a, a Dell XPS laptop from 2015. So that's going on eight years now that um, it's basically my wife's computer. It still works amazingly well. It runs 10 fast and easy. Like I think the, um, the interesting thing about computers, right. Is that we we've gotten out of the, gotten out of the phase largely where things are cheap and terrible and they fail. And I would say probably since, I don't know, 2010 and onward, maybe most computers were just built to last. And the things that force them into obsolescence are usually software, much more so than, than failing hardware. Or if a computer fails, it's going to be in the first year or two, you know, capacitor fails in the motherboard, you know, whatever. But if it lasts a couple of years, it'll probably last another 10. You know, I'll tell you something that I did, I did originally in my archaeological home dig just a few days ago. I found a, you might remember this, uh, Jason, I found my Sony PSP PlayStation Portable mm. um, from 
2000 and somewhere around there in the aughts, as you said. I never had one, but I remember. And um, the battery is shot, but I plugged in the AC adapter, which I still have, and it booted up. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing, amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I have actually, in batteries, though, it's interesting, right? One of the things with built in batteries have less lifespan because the older they get, the higher the chance of the battery, you know, undergoing like a a chemical failure. So I have uh, a Zune that I loved the old, old Zune. And it was great. And then I went down to look at it and it was this beautiful Zune. What was it called? The Zune mini? Was that, was that the smaller Zune? I think the Zune. And it was this red, this red one, this candy red. And on the back, it had this beautiful customization. Microsoft was so ahead of their time. Their timing was terrible, right? But it was this beautiful device. And I looked at it and it was all bloated and bent because the battery and it just just destroyed the device. I I was so, so sad. But uh, yeah, battery failure is probably the number one thing that takes out old devices. It just stops working yes. or, or they expand and destroy it. Yeah. So yeah, I you worry about a fire. My, uh, Sorry, go ahead. I, 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 was, I, I, sh- I still have a, a, a Radio Shack uh, TRS-100, uh, which was, you know, one of that the first old. portable. Con- yeah, 1980s. I think about 84. Oh wow. It, I think it was the last project that Bill Gates personally coded for uh, wow. the... Um, the Microsoft Basic inside of it, and you know it ran on like double A batteries. So I bet if I stuck some double A batteries in it, still, boot, it would still I work. should go look. Yeah, I should go look. Uh, the other problem with really old devices, by the way, uh, portable devices, uh, the LCD screens sometimes just explode too. Just all oh, on their own. Yeah, they just fail. yeah, not not impact or anything. They just kind of burst. I've yeah. had I've seen that in several devices. Yeah, well, I guess um, ultimately it's a, it's you know a liquid stuck between two pieces of plastic yeah. and eventually the chemical composition, I'm sure just changes over time or heat. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have a uh, HP 100 with, with which that happened too. But um, yeah. So, so you still, you, so you're, but your Macs and things are all relatively new. I think our friend's Mac was pretty old from what I recall. Well, yeah. I was really but- surprised. I had only, I mean, I only updated these just uh, a few months ago, right? So I had had a, a 2015 iMac that I just yeah. loved. And so it, it was the, the 5K iMac. And so it was just wonderful. Loved that to death. But, you know, it was Core i7 at the time, a beast of a machine. But then yeah. as soon, and it's interesting, right? The, the software needs that drive change are interesting. So if you're, you know, you're into video, it was always good at encoding H.264, because that was a thing when it came out or, you know, close enough that it, it worked reasonably well. But then as soon as you start getting into things that didn't exist in 4K video and H.265 encoding, H.265 encoding just killed it. I would go from, you know, five minute render to five hour render because yeah. H.265 is just so far beyond the hardware. It could only be done in software. It's brutally inefficient. And now, you know, the M-series CPUs can do H.265 encoding like the blink of an eye. It's, it's stunning how, how, how fast it is. But I held on to those things and I desperately wanted Apple to come out, you know, with the new iMac. And I was very fixated on that. And they wouldn't, and they wouldn't, and they wouldn't. And eventually I just like, okay, Apple, you've beaten me down. You've crushed my spirit. I will buy an <laughs> Apple Studio because that's the only thing, an Apple Studio and a studio display, that's the only thing that will get me what I want, which is a 5K display and a powerful desktop computer. And Apple just wouldn't give me what I wanted. I didn't want to buy the 24K or the 24-inch iMac. I'm like, nope, not doing it, not doing it. And then eventually Apple just won me over, but I'm thrilled with my Apple Studio. Yeah, it's it's um, one. I would say, especially for Apple, you know, my my Windows laptops and PCs tend to die faster than I would prefer. Mm-hmm. Although they do last quite a while. But the Apple stuff is just phenomenal in its longevity. Basically, you know, I, I give them up when they stop updating the, the OS. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. So, is it is it seven no. years? I think. Yeah, I think so. Typically, yeah. So that was the thing with my um, iMac. That was the thing. I couldn't. I stopped. Uh, well, last year. So I guess it was it. Maybe it was it going to Ventura. I think it's the current one, right? Um, I couldn't get that, and I was like, well, that's it. You know, this thing gave me so much value. It is slow and I can't get the newest OS. So it's time. Right. And yeah, but right. what the funny thing was, I sold it to a guy who was doing audio production and it was a mm-hmm. beast of a machine, perfect for audio production. And he was replacing, I think a 2012 iMac. And so for him, wow. it was a significant upgrade, more than enough for what he wanted. And I'm sure it'll serve him for another five years. And he, and he didn't care about the, the OS. So it is really nice when you think about sustainability and, and, you know, things not going in the garbage. Like if we think back 20 years ago, how much of our stuff we had to throw out 
because it just broke. Yes. It just stopped working. You know, motherboards, computers. Yeah. Like nowadays, a lot of stuff just keeps working if it doesn't have a battery. Unless it's a Microsoft Surface Pro, which I I went through well, some of those. Yeah. Yeah. There is <laughs> there is some of that. Um, but even Microsoft, right? You know, building their own hardware. I'm sure yeah. there's lots of lessons learned. Oh, I, I went through three or four Surface Pro 4s in a couple of years. Uh, that would System really board failure. Yeah, that would shake my belief blow. in the product. <laughs> um, just it was just like, oh, not again. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was it was an enterprise purchase, so the you know the honored extended one. They swapped me out, but you know they all died, and I switched to Lenovo in the, <laughs> which was which lasted me until I retired. So that was yeah. fine. Yeah, it was it was an ugly machine. It didn't yeah. have a touch screen, but you know it kept chugging along. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> I have a. My other old purchase that is still a little bit used, but not much, is I have a 2016 MacBook Pro. And typically, I'm, I'm decent with my timing for technology purchases, but I completely missed the boat with that one because I bought it. And then I think it was six months later, Apple came out with a MacBook Pro that had like a quad core processor. So this is like a dual core. And um, given the work I do with photos and videos... I really desperately wanted that quad core. So immediately I was dissatisfied with it and a little bit grown. I spent a fair amount on it. I got it with one terabyte of storage. And so it was a very expensive purchase. And I go, oh, I'm going to keep using it. And I kept using it over the years and it was never as fast as I wanted, whatever. Um, but then I replaced it with the MacBook Pro 14. Um, Todd is frozen. Are, are we still live? John, can you hear me? Yeah, we're we're still going. Todd just, uh, his video is frozen. And okay. Now he's, okay, he might be back now. Okay. Okay. Todd, did you have that power outage we were talking about or? Okay. Well, maybe no, Todd can't I, hear. I don't see anything blinking, but I suspect my uh, cable provider may be having some issues, but please mm-hmm. continue. I'm just going to go check to see what the electricity situation here is like on Ireland. Okay. Yeah. Some hints. I, I was just saying that, you know, having this MacBook Pro um, and then eventually, you know, I, I wanted, wanted to replace it. And so I replaced it with the MacBook Pro 14, completely stunned by the performance and the battery life. I just, my brain can't calculate how good modern MacBooks are on batteries, especially coming from a 2016 model where you could just literally watch the percentage drain, even though the battery hadn't been cycled that much. And it was a fairly healthy battery, um, mm-hmm. but the performance is so much different. But what I did with the old MacBook Pro, because, you know, I, I'm emotional about my gadgets. I usually sell laptops and desktops. Like I sold the iMac. Like, oh, I just... I really wanted, you know, to go to a new, a new person, even though it was my very first Apple product I used, I had so much emotional attachment, but it's a big iMac. I'm like, well, what am I going to do with this big iMac? And since I'm not a hoarder, I'm like hard decisions. Like John said, hard decisions, sold it. And can you name a computer in 2015 that you could sell for like, what did I get for it? $600 or $550? That's a good deal. Uh, yeah, but but a computer that old, you just you you know like like try try to sell a Windows computer from 2015. Like, what would you get? Yeah, right. <laughs> you would get right. nothing. So that that whole Apple thing is still good. But my MacBook Pro, I decided, okay, well, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna reformat it. I'm gonna put. Um, it's now this year out of the latest update, so it's stuck on the on the, the previous OS. But I decided to go default, which I've never done before. I installed no third party apps. I used Apple Mail, Safari. I just went completely default with the Apple solution just to experiment and see what it was like, which I've never done before. I always go with, you know, Outlook or kind of my, the things I'm more comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And it turned out mm-hmm. it was it was quite functional, but it still sits upstairs and doesn't get used because if I really need my laptop, it's worth me going downstairs and grabbing my newer one. So my theory <laughs> of having an upstairs laptop, eh, it didn't really pan out. And by the way, while you were talking, I did go look at our electric and right around downtown, on Honolulu, about thirty hundred people just lost power, so that probably caused a little oh no glitch okay. in the cable repeaters. So um, yeah, right, comes right around Punchbowl National Cemetery. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely for those folks. I'm still okay. I've still got power, but you know, we live in a very antiquated. Talking about you know antiquated uh, infrastructures earlier. Yeah. The yeah, U.S. Is overhead lines and very all far that. behind yeah. in a lot of ways. We just have a very old electrical infrastructure here in, in, on this island. And, um, and you know, stuff like this happens. Um, but in our it, calm, you know, we still have a lot of yeah. copper. <laughs> well, but isn't it interesting, right? So there's this tension and it's so unfortunate between you have old stuff that people want to upgrade or sorry, they should want to upgrade, but there's that lack of political will or, or public support or whatever you want to call it to spend the money to do it. Now, whether it's bridges falling down, power grids failing, I, I would say, what, you know, I've lived in the US now for you know 11 years. One of the 
big challenges is trying to get motivation and movement to make things better. And I find that just, it's so interesting to watch it. You look and you go, yeah, everyone that lives there, they should be clamoring for upgraded, stable electrical systems, right? But I'm sure if you go back and say, okay, here's what it's going to cost in tax increase to get that, it would get voted down in, in a nanosecond, right? Nobody but a few would want to pay for it. So it's like people want things to be better, but they don't want to pay for it. And it becomes a very frustrating thing to, to watch, I'm sure. Well, I think we've also seen a deflection of when you start talking about the costs before anyone could actually get any traction on talking about costs. It immediately goes, well, the other political party, they screwed this up, so they should pay for it. I mean, sure. it's like we've we've immediately yeah. gone to anything that could be a commonality to, well, how do I segment this so that my group looks good and your group looks bad and your group should pay for it, exactly. even though all yeah. of us should be wanting to pay for, for better infrastructure. Yeah, uh, it's a weird. It's just yeah. too many people. Breathing but I don't want to pay for yours, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've gotten to the point now with politicization in this country that I'm pretty sure if you go out and make any statement, there will be someone that will put a political bent to it. You know, you can go out and look at someone and go, "Nice yeah. day today." Yeah, but don't thank the blanks because they're the ones that would have to have horrible. <laughs> I don't know how you got there, but I'm really yeah. sorry. That- that's how you got there. <laughs> well, I, I didn't mean to put us on a, on a political avenue, but uh, I, I do think it's just an infrastructure, right? Like those things like yeah. water, electricity, all the things that just as a species are living in a place, we should be like, yes, we want clean water. We want stable electricity. We want these things. But somehow societally, we, there lacks that, that will and that cohesiveness to get those things done. And so you have bridges falling down, infrastructure failing, you know, lead in the water pipes. And, and then you look at other countries, you know, some smaller countries and other places where somehow they have more social cohesion and they're able to do things like uh, now, maybe this is a poor example, social cohesion, social coercion, you know, in China, but right, they, they're hyperloop, they're testing a hyperloop train, they're able to make advances in technology that somehow in the US, it is so hard to make those same advances. And I find that really interesting to watch. Well, it, it helps when there's no dissent. Yes, yeah. you're right. You're right. Which, which <laughs> yeah. Maybe China was a bad example. <laughs> there, there are European countries, like let, let's well, say it, Norway, they, they build these massive offshore wind farms to generate tons of clean electricity and the U.S. can't get rid of the penny. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there's that, I, that thing. I was talking to my human factors <laughs> engineering class a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about solving problems and I, I gave an example. I said, but this was a weird example because... I not only could observe the problem, I could design, develop, and deploy the solution, and I had the authority to say, this is what we're doing now. I said, in most cases, no one, no single person has all of that. And so problems just fester because there's too many moving parts, in a sense, yeah. moving along expeditiously. I do wonder, though, how bad certain things have to get, though, right? Like, Todd, you in your area, in your island, right? How bad would the electrical infrastructure have to get before there's enough will of the people to replace it, to upgrade it, you know, to improve it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Electricity, electricity, water, mm-hmm. uh, roads. You know, I think we have more potholes per mile than any other road in the U S. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's uh, tough. That's yeah. Tough. But at any rate on a happy or on a funnier note, um, as we, as we, I, I shared a chat GPT haiku that I, I had it, uh, had GPT generate, but John had an even better idea. <laughs> John, you want to share? Yeah, there's a, there's a joke running around, uh, as many have seen over the last couple of weeks with ChatGPT, a lot of people talking about how this is going to interfect, interfect uh, yeah, interact with education, maybe infect education. And uh, professors, we actually had a conversation at work this week about it. I've been in a number of conversations about this. But there was a joke this week that said professors will automatically stop hating it when they realize they can use it to write recommendation letters. So uh, Todd had asked ChatGPT to write a haiku about the year of the water rabbit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Todd, do you want to read your water rabbit haiku? Oh, but it's not as funny as yours. Well, yeah, mine, mine I thought it was fun, but it's, it's a water rabbit year ahead, peaceful, calm, and full of grace, harmony to lead. But then I, that's not, not yeah. funny. Yours so I, wrote, I asked it, can you write a haiku <laughs> that would serve as a letter of recommendation? And it came back with, in skills and integrity, a shining beacon shines bright, higher with confidence. But yeah, that's a that's pretty clever. good haiku. As a I, I like it. 
But I have to point to something, and this is so key about chat GPT. That's not a haiku. A haiku is a five, seven, five. And that is, a, I think it's a seven, seven, five, right? <laughs> so this is the key thing about, about chat GPT, right? It's like, yeah. it, 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 it creates convincing things that are wrong. And so this yeah. is a great example of like, it did not know that haiku is supposed to be five, seven, five. Yeah. So I, I still, no, it actually is. I just counted. Well, integrity is actually water more, but, rabbit uh, the, year the middle ahead. are seven. Yeah. Well, but, but water rabbit year ahead is seven in skills and yeah, integrity yeah. is like seven or eight. Anyway, yeah. so my point is, is that, you know, again, yeah. it's super impressive that it can do it, but there's still that, um, it reminds me a little bit of well, um, voice recognition, right? <laughs> it can get it 99% right, but that last 1% really matters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where yeah. GPT is. It'll get there. Right? It'll get yeah. there. As they've been saying on some of the podcasts, I've been listening to chat GPT when it's wrong is really assured that it's right is convincingly <laughs> wrong. It tells you that it's right. Uh, as I, you know, that makes it very human though, previous, doesn't it? Right. Humans. When yeah. We, yeah. Wrong, we believe we're right. So it's maybe it's the most, most human software of all. As, as I told John, uh, uh, chat GPT is the Cliff Clavin of AI. Uh, if you remember the, if you hey, remember Nam, let me tell you about the Mesopotamians, Nam. <laughs> that was a terrible Cliff Clavin. But yes, yes. The ancient Mesopotamians, Cliff Clavin. He knew it all. <laughs> well, that's what I eventually Alrighty. told my uh my colleagues that don't worry about chat GPT, because when you read it, you'll know if it's right or wrong. Uh right. it might sound good, but five seconds in, you're gonna go, that's not quite right. Well, but John, here's a question right. as, as as a professor, right? What's the difference between chat GPT and a terrible student that doesn't know things? How do you how do you tell? The terrible student will not have as good of grammar and mechanics. Okay, fair. Yeah. Yeah. The terrible student that doesn't know the content will also not know the English language enough to write something coherent. But the there are plenty of students out there that have good content, horrible mechanics. I've seen that I see that probably the most where mm-hmm. students have the ideas and they don't have structure, they don't have the, the best way to put it. Right. But mm-hmm. generally, it does not work the other way, where you have great mechanics, but no content. It's typically it kinda, those yeah, content it, mechanics hang together in the second yeah. way. And, and that tracks, right? Because someone who's a good writer and good, strong grammar and understanding of structure and how to write an essay is probably the same student that actually knows the thing. So, yeah, that that, that does make sense. So I guess in that way, it's easy to spot chat GPT for now. Who's what, 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 What's that phrase like? Uh, like a, like a useful idiot or like, you know, it, it, it's, it knows things, but it's still, still a little bit wrong. So, yeah. But anyhow, yeah. I, I want to thank uh, Jason Dunn for putting up with some technical difficulties in the beginning of podcast uh, for here. joining us from Movies Podcast 443. And we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks guys. See you later. Thanks for having me. All righty.